Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. So it's good to be able to see all of you out here for the first one of this year. We did... um... Uh, well, you know what I'm thankful for is the fact that we're not doing a ladies' Bible study necessarily anymore. And for those of you that weren't here, there was a couple of times back in the winter months, Tim was working late over at the FedEx store and some others, that it literally was me and TJ in here with ladies. Not a bad thing, but then TJ was in the sound booth, so literally I was preaching to the ladies. And so um, next time I should just have my wife do it. She would do a much better job than I would. But well, I'm glad that you guys are here. I'm glad to see, yes, I'm even glad to see Cameron in the back. I'm glad to see that you're here, Cameron. It's so good uh, to be able to do that. And as some of you may recall, several months ago, I shared with you a story about how I had a run-in with the law. Now that I have your attention, it's true. I, I had a run-in with the law. Last year, actually 2019 during the Christmas season, I, uh, Tim, Tim laughs at this because Tim knows exactly where it was because Tim has seen me go by here before and knows how tricky it is to get caught in this particular section of road. But I was traveling over there by my house and I was along Fayetteville, Old Fayetteville Road, right in front of McDougal Elementary School. And as I was driving, TJ was in the front seat and we're going to go put up a sign for Christmas up in front of the Smith Middle School. I had no idea how fast I was going and I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw flashing lights. I'm like, okay, great. I was pulled over, and the nicest police officer came up to me, a nice lady, and she said, I'm so sorry to be able to have to give this to you, but here is a citation for speeding. Romel, you, you know what I'm talking about. You were going in the police academy there, and so you know what it's all about by just being mean to people and delivering those tickets. And so I was 100% wrong. Like, I was 100% guilty. I mean, I didn't even try to go to court and fight it because I, there was nothing for me to fight because I was 100%. I was guilty as sin. Now, I would be lying to you if I told you that there was not one small part in me that was frustrated at the police officer. Now, she did nothing wrong. Obviously, she was doing her job, being very respectful. I am very grateful for the police uh, in protecting us, but I didn't like the benefit that they uh, deliver to people coming at my expense. And so as I was sitting over there, I was in the recesses of my mind after blaming it on TJ for making me speed. There was something in my heart, very small, that was somewhat frustrated with the police officer for being there and catching me. Now, in all reality, she had nothing to do with me receiving that ticket from the foundation. She didn't write the law. She simply was the messenger to deliver the penalty of the law that was set up by the state. That was 100% uh, the, 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 the issue there. Now, oftentimes we get upset with the messengers that deliver us the news that comes from the high end of other people. Now, from a very weak standpoint, that's just a little bit about what the Old Testament prophets had to deal with when they were delivering the news to the people. What we're going to do this evening is we're going to kick off, and honestly, majority of this entire year is going to be focusing on this study. We're actually going to take a break over the summer to do something over the summer that we've never done before. We're going to call it Church Without Walls and actually have church in like multiple different locations throughout the week and do different things. But that's a whole other side note. Up until that point, we're going to take a break over the summer. We're going to be focusing on this book of Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah, as we know, was a prophet from God, and he was sent by God to be a messenger to the people. And just like many prophets, the people hated and rejected God's messengers because their heart and their flesh did not want to hear the message that the prophets had to deliver. So as we journey through the book of Jeremiah, what we're going to discover is God's grace in the life of one of the Old Testament's most rejected prophets. And that was Jeremiah. And as we're going to discover, there's times where you'll see the life of Jeremiah and it's a little depressing. Here's this man. It's obviously one of the biggest books in the Old Testament that you would think would be this huge, great man of God. And he was, but there was a lot of weaknesses that you're going to see. Matter of fact, the book of Jeremiah is different than multiple of the other Old Testament books. Jeremiah actually... What we're seeing here is a journal of Jeremiah's account of his life being used by God. You're going to see a raw emotion coming from Jeremiah as he deals with the rejection of the people. Matter of fact, Jeremiah was a prophet that preached or proclaimed for 40 years, 40 years, and no one listened to him. No one. But he didn't give up. But before we dive into the book, it is necessary, though, to really paint the historical background of what we find here with this journey of Jeremiah. What we discover here are the specific details listed about Jeremiah and the background. It can be found in 2 Kings chapters 22 through 25 and also 2 Chronicles. We're not going to take the time to read that, but I want to go ahead and paint with you just a really rough uh, overview of what has happened up until that point. Now, Going all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, we see in Genesis chapter 12, we understand there was a conversation that occurred between God and Abraham, right? God told Abraham that I'm going to make of you or from you a great nation. And so we look at the timeline, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac then had Jacob, and it was through those two men that the nation of Israel was born. Well, you fast forward all the way up to King David, the entire nation of Israel was united underneath one kingdom. David had a son, Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, but Solomon had a problem. Can anybody tell me what his problem was? Women. That was Solomon's problem, and it was a problem of women. I don't mean that in a derogatory way towards women in the least bit. Solomon had a lot of women, a lot of them. And the problem was Solomon, being this wise man, had his heart turned away from God because he developed a relationship, an intimate relationship with women that were pagan. Women did not follow the God of Israel. And so as a result of that, we see at the end of Solomon's reign, the kingdom was split into two parts. You had the northern kingdom, which is usually referred to as Israel. And then you had the southern kingdom, which is usually referred to as the kingdom of, can anybody tell me? Judah, absolutely, the kingdom of Judah. What we see here with the prophet of Jeremiah is he's delivering words to the kingdom of Judah. It is not focused on the kingdom of Israel. And so just to kind of give you some background there, we understand, right, the, the, the storyline of the Jews. They follow God. They turn their back on God. They fall into captivity over and over and over again. The prophet Jeremiah was sent by God to deliver instructions to the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah had the privilege of prophesying under the reign of three different kings. When Jeremiah burst into the scene, the godly king Josiah was reigning over jo uh, Judah. Josiah, by God's grace, turned the people's hearts back to God, and the people lived under the heavy influence of idol worship. From their, uh, they, they were moved, removed from the heavy influence of idol worship that they had lived prior to Josiah. But unfortunately, just as we see the cycle go, Josiah had a son, and his son's name was Jehoiakim, and he ruled with a heavy hand. 
did not rule um, the people in the way of the Lord, and it got even worse through his son, Zedekiah. So as mentioned, the book of Jeremiah really records the events of Jeremiah as he prophesies to the people of Judah. As well as we discover the study here, within this study, Jeremiah recounts more of his own personal life than any life of any other prophet. And as we see through the life of Jeremiah, there's a testing and there's, this, there's this, this trying of his ministry. He records the responses of his audience and even lays out the struggles that he has with God's call. Matter of fact, the second book that we're going to look at this year is Lamentations. And you've heard of me talk about this before. The whole entire book of Lamentations is literally Josiah through song complaining, more or less, lamenting, right? It was Lamentations, lamenting at the struggles that he's having with the call of God. So you see a real, raw struggle in the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations. So there's really two overall themes in this book. You've got a theme of judgment, and you've got a theme of hope. God was upset with the people of Judah because of many reasons. In fact, if you look at it, it kind of describes the state of the United States today. Some describe the book of Jeremiah as really one long divorce suit. God delivers one charge after another against his own people. You may ask yourself, why in the world was God so upset with his people? Well, it's very similar to what we find ourselves in our nation today. Number one, they put their confidence in the wrong people. They acted in ways that did not reflect their faith in God. They worshiped idols. They practiced adultery. They neglected the widows and orphans. They broke God's command to keep the Sabbath holy, which obviously we're not under that command today but they had a disregard for God's commands. Their vocabulary was filled with lies and slander, and to top all of it off, they were hypocritical about all of it. They tried to be a lot holier than they really were, and they practiced all this hypocrisy. As one commentator puts it, it all boils down. God's anger, His righteous anger towards the people of Judah, the, the nation of Judah there, can all be boiled down to their unfaithfulness to God. But as I mentioned earlier, there is this second theme, and that's this theme of hope that we'll discover. Even in the midst of judgments and charges delivered by the prophet of, of Jeremiah to the people, God provides hope. And there is a purpose for God's judgment of sin, and that is to bring about hope. So the bottom line, the book of Jeremiah is about hope delivered by the means of judgment. And now my prayer is that as studying through the book of Jeremiah here, we can gain a glimpse based upon history what God's dealing with His nation and be better prayer warriors for our nation today as we look at what the future may hold for us. This book is different than a novel. Typically when you pick up a novel, right, it has a starting point, it has a uh, climax, and everything leads up to a climax, and then it drops from there. This isn't written like that. There's really, fur, uh, really two overall sections with the book of Jeremiah. A, a commentator, theologian, some of you have heard of his name before, Mark Daver, he describes it this way. The first section talks about God's justice for his people. And then the second section talks about justice for Babylon and the nation. Stephen Smith describes the overall book of Jeremiah this way. The story of God's judgment is told in Jeremiah through Jeremiah's sermons, his journals, and his songs. So with that being said, take your Bibles to the first chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1. And when we think of a prophet typically... We think of someone that foretells the future events, right? Somebody that tells of the coming of the Messiah. You look at the book of Isaiah, majority of that is giving prophetic references to the Messiah. But 
Jeremiah isn't like that. Jeremiah is really a prophet that is warning of God's judgment. He is pleading with the people to turn their hearts back to God. So rather than foretelling of the future events, Jeremiah focuses drawing the hearts of the people back to God. Now before we assume that God chose a great man, as I mentioned earlier, that possessed this great ability to communicate, and I pray that I was a fantastic communicator, we must not get ahead of ourselves. Jeremiah was not a powerful man. He was not a man that commanded the ears of his listeners, as we will discover. His listeners literally abused him. They didn't treat him well at all. But as we'll see with Jeremiah, God called a man to deliver a message of hope, and it was through God's power in Jeremiah's life that we are still reading about Jeremiah today. And so, just as any great man or great woman, there has to be a point in which they are called, and we discover this as our first chapter to kick all of this off. And the title of tonight's study is this anatomy of the call. The anatomy, the breakdown, more or less, of Jeremiah's call. And I want you to think about this in reference to your life today. I was talking to Manuel uh, before the service, and Manuel feels called to be a stateside missionary, more or less. In 2020, kind of through, I should say through a wrench and all of that, we understand that God's in complete control, but what Manuel had plans for kind of changed up with 2020. But his desire is to eventually start a chapter or start a college ministry at UNC Greensboro, correct? I told him about the Higgins family over here at UNC Chapel Hill. That is a call that Manuel has received by God specifically for more or less full-time ministry. Not everybody receives that same type of call, but we are all called to be ambassadors of Christ. Cameron, you received Christ a few weeks ago. Guess what? You have a responsibility now of sharing the hope that you received by other people. That's not an if, and, or but. That is something we have to do. And so we're going to look at this call here when it comes down to at the call of Jeremiah, and we can really break this chapter down into four manageable sections. So the first thing we're going to look at here is section number one. God calls Jeremiah. And it's awesome to read about this account. Look down at verse four and verse five. It says, But the, then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. God's opening conversation with Jeremiah makes it pretty hard for Jeremiah to fight against God. Imagine this. Okay, Jeremiah's minding his own business. All of a sudden, God appears, speaks to him, and says, Hey, hey, listen. Before you were ever even created, before you were ever even formed in your mom's womb, I had a plan for you. Pretty hard to argue against that. It's pretty hard for Jeremiah to respond back and say, Listen, I think you, you chose the wrong guy. God says, No, no, no. I chose you before you were ever even conceived. I had a plan for you from the very beginning of time. There was no plan B with God. That's what this shows us. There was no plan B for God. I've shared this story with you before. When God called us to plant a church, I had several people ask me, what are you going to do if it doesn't work out? What are you going to do if nobody comes to church and your church ends up shutting down? What's your plan B? And my response quickly was, I am going to become a model. That is my plan B is a model. And Tim is in full support of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, the facts were, I didn't have a plan B because clearly that answer, man, I didn't have a plan B. I didn't have one. Because it's not that I thought that I was going to go down there and do something great. It had nothing to do with myself. I, there's not much I can do, as you saw evident here a few moments ago in singing. There's not much I can do. But I had that much faith in God's call for my life that I was going to go serve Him until He shut that door. 
And he hasn't done so yet, praise God. And I'm going to keep doing it until he shuts that door. But God chose from the very beginning of time to use Jeremiah in a great way. What else does this show us? It shows us that God's plan to use someone, get this, is based upon God's sovereignty, not the ability or merit of that individual. We talked about God's sovereignty. It's like a huge theme all of last year, right? God's sovereignty is in reference to God's complete and ultimate control over the entire world. It is God's right to rule, so to speak. So everything that happens in this world happens because God allowed it to happen. God is in complete control. And so God, from the very beginning of time, has chosen you to go down the path in which you are going, has a plan for you specifically. God knew the abilities and the merit of Jeremiah even before he was born. He literally equipped Jeremiah to accomplish his plan. So why would Jeremiah have a conversation with God and tell God that he chose the wrong person? Cameron, I keep picking on you because you're, you're, newer, you're newer in the faith. I'm just so excited about this. But Cameron, you're 19 years old, right? God has chosen you. Obviously, you're, you're, you're a follower of Christ. And it's been evident that you have a relationship with Christ just by your conversation, your desire to grow. Cameron, did you know that God has a plan for you? And He has developed that even before you were in your mother's womb. So it's regardless of your past life, whatever mistakes or whatever things have happened in your life, regardless of all of that, none of that matters for your future with God. All of that has been forgiven. It's all underneath the blood, and that goes for all of us here. So what we can see here is that God chose Jeremiah from the very beginning. Paul acknowledges, I don't think anybody in here can argue that they have a worse life or they lived a worse life than what Paul did prior to salvation. Paul acknowledges the fact that God chose him from the very beginning. He says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. Now you observe the life of Paul prior to his relationship with Christ. You understand that literally his job did not give him any type of merit to follow God's will or follow God's grace. He literally got paid to kill and persecute Christians. That's how he put food on the table, so to speak. And so if there was any man that could not offer any type of merit before God's plan, it was Paul. But Paul recognized the fact that from the very beginning of time, God chose him to deliver the will of God. And we understand that Paul, and I mean this in a respectful way, is literally like the most decorated missionary that's ever lived. We're going, we're going through a book right now written by the Apostle Paul on Sunday mornings. So God chose him from the very beginning. So there Jeremiah is, shocked at the message that he just received, trying to digest what he just heard from God. Now, to kind of put this in perspective, Jeremiah is not a 34-year-old man. Some commentators estimate that he was a late teenager when he received this call. Some commentators say he was in his early 20s. He was, Cameron, he's probably right around your age when he received this call that God was going to use him in a great way, which really leads us to our second section here. And that is this, Jeremiah responds to God's call by objecting to it. He objects to God's call. Look at verse 6. Then said I, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Now it's interesting. As I mentioned earlier, we don't know how old he is. We assume that he's probably an older teenager, maybe in the young 20s. But nonetheless, notice the type of excuse that Jeremiah has. It's not one of ability, necessarily. It's not one of education. It's one of age. 
There is something about his age that cannot be changed. That is something that is set in stone. God can grant someone the ability to accomplish something, and he will. God can provide the education needed to accomplish a task, and he will. But Jeremiah's age is something that is set in stone, and that is the excuse that he uses to provide to God as to why it would not work. God, I have no voice because I'm too young. Nobody's going to listen to me. We don't know the intent of Jeremiah providing this specific excuse, but what we do know is this. Jeremiah based his inability to accomplish God's task upon his age. He was not necessarily saying that he could not speak well. He was saying that because of his young age, no one would listen when he would speak. God, you mean to tell me that you want me to deliver your word to the people? Nobody's going to listen to a snot-nosed teenager. No one's going to listen to a 20-year-old person or however old he was deliver this word from you. Why are you choosing me? And Jeremiah's wrestling with this. Jeremiah was at a crossroads. But let me tell you something. Since when does a person's age matter to God? Since when does a person's age matter to God? Last time I checked, God did some pretty impossible things when people tried to use their age as an excuse. Sarah, the mother of Isaac, being one of them, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, being another. They were both old ladies who were barren, older ladies. I mean that disrespectfully. They were older ladies that were past the childbearing age, that were barren. They could not biologically have children. God did not let age stop that. Jeremiah was at a crossroads. He was just presented a call before God, and Jeremiah reconciles that call with his young age, and now he's in this deep struggle of faith. How do I accomplish what you just gave me? Jeremiah did not deny or oppose God's call because we know that God already designed Jeremiah to answer the call. Jeremiah was simply trying to understand it. God, why now? Why me? As we transition down to the third section of this chapter, we see in verses 7 through 10 that God reassures his call to Jeremiah by setting Jeremiah's mind at ease, which brings us to our third section. God reassures Jeremiah of his call. Jeremiah records in verse 7. Look down at verse 7. It says, But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, that shall speak. And I just love, think about it, and some of your versions may say something a little bit differently along those lines, but I just love the upfront, matter-of-fact response of God. In essence, God says, don't you dare use the excuse of being young. You will go where I tell you, and you will proclaim to the people what I tell you to proclaim. There's no coddling with God here. He says, you're going to do what I tell you to do. There was no acceptance of Jeremiah's excuse. There was just a command, and sometimes that is exactly what we need. And if our whole life is defined by excuses, then we're never going to accomplish anything. And sometimes God just needs to be upfront with us. Listen, I'm calling you to do this. I've equipped you to do it. You just need to go and do it. Stop making excuses. Think about how, I can say the word stupid, my kids aren't in here. Think about how stupid it is for us to try to make excuses before God of how inequipped we are. And we all do this. I do this, I should say often, I've gotten better at it. But how often do we make excuses about following God? God, I can't be a missionary. God, I can't serve God in this area because I don't have the ability to. I don't have the time to. 
And so we make excuses with literally the creator of this entire universe. So what makes us think that God can't accomplish in our life when he created this entire world that we don't even understand all the ins and outs of how it was created? Alina's on her way, almost going to become a doctor here, on her way to her doctorate degree. Alina is smart, smarter, way smarter than I ever will be. Alina, do you admit that there's a lot of things in this world that you don't understand? That you don't understand more things as you do. Alina, being extremely brilliant, realizes there's a lot of things that she does not fully understand. But yet, we want to have a conversation with God to try to tell God what we believe is best. He says to Jeremiah, listen, you're going to do what I tell you to do. I've already chosen you from the beginning. There's no choice in the matter. You're going to do this. And then he recognizes God. I mean, it doesn't that God recognizes the fact that he's young. He already knows that. But he makes it clear to Jeremiah that his age has nothing to do with his ability to accomplish God's plan. The reason being, it was not going to be Jeremiah's ability that will accomplish God's plan to begin with. Perhaps that was the whole point and why God chose such a young prophet to proclaim his word. Because in Jeremiah, there was this huge breadth, this huge gap of what he could do and what God had called him to do. God had called him to do this, right? To be this huge prophet over this entire nation. The ability and the age that Jeremiah had was way over here. There's a big gap here that only God can fill. And that may be the very reason why God chose Jeremiah at such a young age. Because in his inability, in Jeremiah's inability, that became a bigger platform for the grace of God. See, God doesn't choose people that know they are great. God doesn't choose people that know they can accomplish all these things. God chooses people that know that they are nothing without God bigger platform for the grace of God. God then shifts gears in verse 8, as we see here, and delivers some words of comfort to Jeremiah. He says, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. God wanted Jeremiah to understand that the power of Jeremiah's proclamation will not come from Jeremiah's ability, but from God's presence. The comfort that God delivers to Jeremiah is the reality that no matter where God takes Jeremiah, God will always be by his side. Faith in this reality will always produce courage and boldness. God promises the believer to give us the Holy Spirit. It's the promise of God he gives in the New Testament. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a great comforter, one of several names. As Christians, we find comfort in the fact that no matter where we go, we will always have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, we accomplish great things in Christ. So after ripping away the excuse of age from Jeremiah and providing words of encouragement, in verses 9 through 10, what we see here is this interesting event that happens, and that's this commissioning of Jeremiah. In verse 9, Jeremiah records, Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Think about that for a moment. Jeremiah records God reaching out, touching Jeremiah's mouth, and then telling Jeremiah, I have put my words into your mouth. What does that tell us? All God wanted Jeremiah to be was a mouthpiece of God's grace. All God wanted Jeremiah to be 
was a mouthpiece of His grace. And that's all God wants you to be. See, I was thinking about this today in comparison to you know, my ministry, because pastors talk to themselves a lot. <laughs> they talk to themselves a lot and thinking about, you know, where they are with ministry and all this other stuff. And the most dangerous thing you can do, man, well, the most dangerous thing you can do is go on social media and look at the other people in the same position that you're in. All right, it's a comparison game. So I was talking to myself today, right, in my mind, and I was praying through things, and I came to this realization. There are some men my age in my length of ministry and if you want to define success based upon the size of a church, we'll just go with that route, that have a far bigger church and a far bigger ministry than I do. Does that mean that I am less of a servant for God? No. See, God chooses to give favor whom He gives favor to, and He chooses to use those whom He chooses to use to accomplish His specific plan. Brandon Joyner may never be a pastor of a church of more than 50 people, and that's okay. That may just be the type of pastor that God has set me up to be. But none of that is reflection on the type of person that I am if I am faithful to God. See, God, all He did, all He called us to do was be a mouthpiece of God's grace, to be a billboard of God's grace to the people that are watching us. And it's through His sovereign plan, it's through His grace, it's through His favor, if He decides to give us a bigger ministry, to give us a bigger influence, but that is not what defines success. What defines success is our faithfulness to God. And it's with Jeremiah. I had reached out His mouth, and He touched it, and He says, I want you to be a mouthpiece of my grace to the people. And our prayer at the end of our life, when we are dead and we are gone, ought to be this. We want people to remember God and not us. And those of you that have heard this song will know this, but as the Casting Crown song goes, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. Only Jesus. And having that be the motivation of your life, that will take off an immense amount of pressure off your shoulders. Only Jesus. In verse 10, God delivers the position in which he has placed Jeremiah. He says, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Now think about it. Jeremiah did nothing to achieve this position. I want you to go back and read it. What did God say? I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. What did Jeremiah do to achieve that? Nothing. He's still a teenager. But God placed him in that position because he is part of God's sovereign plan. And according to God's sovereign plan, Jeremiah was placed in that position without Jeremiah doing anything. So what was God's command for Jeremiah to be God's mouthpiece, to tear down, to build up the people of Judah? Jeremiah was chosen by God to be used in a great way. And we see here in this final section, section number four, in verses 11 through, uh, really 11 through 19, God's message for Jeremiah. So he just commissioned him, he just called him, he commissioned him, now is his message. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. And you read that, and you're like, what is that talking about? The almond tree, there's a couple of things it means here, was often referred to as a wakeful tree because it would awaken from its winter sleep earlier than the other trees. And what this is doing, it's just illustrating that the almond tree was in reference to God's early judgment in which Jeremiah would eventually announce. 
In addition to this, the word almond in Hebrew sounded very similar to the word watch in Hebrew. So what God was doing was really a play on words with, with, uh, uh, with, with Jeremiah. God uses this specific symboling to not only reveal to Jeremiah that he would be used by God to deliver judgment to the people, but God would watch over every word that came out of Jeremiah's mouth in order to make sure that Jeremiah was speaking accurately and clearly, which is why he says here, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Not only, Jeremiah, have I called you to do this, but I will be with you every step of the way, giving you the ability to communicate, but I will make sure that you are only saying the words that I want you to say. Literally, God is... Jeremiah is doing nothing. Jeremiah is doing nothing. He literally is just a mouthpiece for God. God is doing all the work. And that's how it is in our Christian life. We do nothing. It's all God's grace through us that anything is accomplished. So why do we get so stressed out? Why do we get so worn out in our Christian life? Because we're too busy trying to accomplish things in our own strength and trying to gain God's approval in our own way. We've already gained it. We've already have God's approval in Christ, as you talk about on Sunday mornings. So why are we putting so much pressure upon ourselves and trying to accomplish things according to our own ability? We just got to follow God. The second illustration we see here in verses 13 through 16, look down at your Bibles there. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north. And the Lord said unto me, Out of the north, and evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call all the families of the kings of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come, and they shall set everyone his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem and against all of the walls thereof round about, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness who have forsaken me, and have burned incense and other gods, and worshiped the works of their own hands. What he's doing here in this illustration is he's letting Jeremiah know the future of the kingdom of Judah. The boiling cauldron was a representation of the Babylonian invaders that would eventually bring judgment upon the people of Judah. That's what he's referring to here. This prophecy was eventually fulfilled when the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon swooped down over Jerusalem and held them captive. This message that God had for Jeremiah to deliver the people was the one of judgment. So after delivering this message, commissioning him, giving Jeremiah the message, in verses 17 through 19, what God does is he concludes by commanding Jeremiah to now rise up and deliver that message to the people. He says, I've commissioned you. I've called you from the very beginning of time to do this. Here's your message. Now go. Go get busy. But I want you to, I want to, I want to end with this verse because this is how the chapter ends. Look at verse 19. It says, they shall fight against thee. God already tells them here that you're not going to have it easy. You're going to go deliver this message, but you're not going to have it easy. Cam, as you go through this life, I told you last week, you're going to have these attacks. It's not going to be easy to live for the Lord. It's not. But look at how God ends it. But they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, saith the Lord, to deliver you. They're going to fight against you. They're going to try to rip you down, and they're going to abuse you. Do not define your success based upon the response of the people because guess what, Jeremiah? There isn't going to be any. But you're not going to be defeated because I'm God, I'm giving you power, and I'm with you. In this Christian life, do not gain your success based upon the responses of people. 
You could live your testimony. You could live the rest of your life, and you can die, and not one person may ever remember the name of Ramel. But if that's what you're striving for people to remember, you're going to live your life underneath intense pressure. Because they shouldn't remember your name, Ramel, when you die. You know what they should remember? Jesus.